Welcome to Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere with your host, Chris Parker. And hello and welcome to Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere. This is Chris Parker and I am with Simon Broad, who is based in the Netherlands and is very much in the smart energy and sustainability industry. Uh, Simon and I worked for well, well, about a year and a half at Power Peers, and I imagine we will uh, talk a bit about that story as well as some other things. And uh, I understand he has some, some, some unique and magical other perspectives about business that he would love to share. So, Simon, welcome, welcome to the conversation. And would you mind just share with people what does Simon do? What do you do? And why do you do what you do? Thank you, Chris. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so my name is Simon Broad. Uh, I have been in the renewable energy sphere for many years. Um, why I do it uh, is because I see sustainability as absolutely key to getting businesses and people into a better place. Uh, we're seeing a lot of activity now in that area. Energy is, of course, a big part of sustainability. So I'm glad to have been part of that and uh, looking around for new ways to be involved. And why is that important to you? What motivates you to be in the, the sustainability space? So uh, it's something I've come to a little bit gradually. When I've, when I've dug back into my past to find where this comes from, I land on the Exxon Valdez disaster, mm. uh, which you may remember, which of course tells you how old I am as well. Um, and I remember these these horrible images of, mm. of crude oil leaked all over 1,300 miles of beach mm. and so on. And why it was particularly impactful for me is my parents both made careers in Exxon. So mm. for me, this money from the oil industry was feeding us, was putting a roof on our heads, yeah. was paying for my education. And at the same time, it had this kind of slimy side which I couldn't quite reconcile. Mm. Um, and then I went through my studies as an engineer and I was looking to be involved in the energy industry. Um, and I gradually saw that change was happening. I've been trying to, to be at the innovative end of energy ever since. Mm. Mm. How old were you when the Exxon Valdez disaster happened? That was up in Alaska, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. And I must have been 21, 22, something like that. Okay. So you're not that old. <laughs> so do you remember when it happened if there was an emotional response or or was it more retrospective no i i do remember at the time um because of the because of my background and and the fact that my parents were working in the oil industry i was rather pro the the whole military industrial complex mm. uh, and didn't question it too much and that was the moment that that i started questioning things yeah, so it's, it's significant. Ooh, dangerous starting to question. I, I was in eighth grade, probably in um, I guess I was probably thirteen, when the uh, Challenger explosion happened, and ah. uh, I, I remember literally being in shock, and 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 you know the, the school was disrupted, and they brought in TVs and things, and and to this day, when I have fellow coaches, like you know sometimes I do leadership development coaching, and they use that those clips. I'm still emotionally affected because and, and, I think it was just such a tremendous moment and, you know, in my life when I was a youth. And so I, I can imagine that, that 
something can, and of course the, the challenger disaster, you know, thi- you know, that was all because of, of, of lack of psychological safety and lack of trust and lack of communication and, and business pressure over, over common sense and Thiokol knew, you know, engineers knew that what would happen. I'm not sure the backstory of, of the, of the Exxon, but I'm sure there had been decisions made along that, that, you know, resulted in disaster. Yeah. Huge amount of human failure, but of course you can't, you can blame Exxon for, for mismanaging a tanker, but you can't blame Exxon for the whole oil industry. I mean, the world is using oil and, and getting the world to stop using oil is, is a huge challenge, but it's one that we have to address. Yeah. So, wow. Um, Cool. I didn't know that about you. So that's why I love these because, you know, these are people I've, I've known literally for so long and, and every conversation um, is just delightful and discovery. So if we go back to what do you do, um, clearly you're a man, you know, driven by purpose and on a mission. So um, in your professional world, how do you solve this problem for humanity? What, 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 are, you, what are you busy with? So uh, I'm very uh, proud to have been involved with with Power Peers, which I think is a, a, a kind of groundbreaking initiative, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it seeks to really make people more aware. And I think awareness is where everything starts. If you mm-hmm. if you don't know something, if you don't feel it, you're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and and it's a part of the industry which is often uh, not getting very much attention because our industry is full of engineering types who look at rational things like mm. electron flows in the grid and logistics and megawatt hours and heating systems and this kind of thing. And that's important, but the psychological side is also very important in all these mm. things. Uh, so for me, that was a real privilege to, to be part of that for that reason. Uh, before mm. that, my life was much more on that rational side mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. so so it was also a departure and, and a lot of fun nice and um maybe describe a little bit about what you did for power peers because I, I know you're around business development and and innovation um and and bringing that to market and and where maybe take a few minutes and, and share where power peers is now and where you're going after that sure um so so at power peers what i what i really most enjoyed about the job was the um, taking care of a customer. Um, and it's not just the sales part. Sales is one thing, but it's taking care of a customer through their whole journey to mm. understand the concept of what we were proposing and then get them through a sale and then take them through how to implement this, how to actually get value out of mm. that thing. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very consultative process. Um, and I, I found that that part the most enjoyable. Other other aspects great as well. Obviously, a great team to work with. Um, but that's that's what I really remember as as the the key part for me. Um, of course, where we are now with Power Peers is uh, we've decided the two founders and Chris, uh, you know this, and and myself, we we have decided to take leave of what we were doing. Um, we were trying to get uh, some kind of control of that from from the owner, and mm-hmm. to be fair, the owner tried quite hard to help us, but somehow it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at some point, we just had to say, "This uh, sadly, this isn't going to mm-hmm. work for us." 
Um, so, uh, well, at least the company in the form of Power Pierce Connect, the software company and the software itself isn't going to to progress as we hoped. Maybe the parent, the owner, will still use it. We hope in some form, but um, yeah. but the need in the market is still there. And so, I'm, I'm, yeah. So, where's your vision? I guess for for where that capability is going, and 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 where is your part in that? Because uh, this is everyday entrepreneurs everywhere, so I'm curious. You exactly. know, this is sort of this is sort of market making activities here. Um, what's your forecast for the future? So I think this technology is is going to be very widespread. Uh, this is about uh, making energy traceable, and in the same way that uh, people want their their food supplies to be traceable and mm. they, they want to know that their clothing that they're buying was made from, from ethically uh, source materials and so on. Mm-hmm. The same uh, applies to energy. Um, I think the PowerPiece technology was maybe a few years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there is room for a, uh, a brand new version of that to come along um, and take its place. Uh, what what we noticed is that everybody that we spoke to in the industry could see this coming along. And they they all knew that at some point in their future, they would be integrating mm-hmm. this technology. Yeah. What we couldn't get is for the one to have the courage to say, I'm going to do this first and pull the other ones with me. Mm. Uh, what, so So there's a certain hurdle to be crossed for widespread acceptance of this. And yeah. at the moment, it's, it's with some funky early adopter types who are doing a great job with it. Mm. And it would be lovely to, to spread it more into the, into the mainstream. Yeah. Just for, the, just for the, the, you know, I guess average listener out there, can you, can you give 60 seconds on what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> what is PowerPeers? <laughs> so, so specifically what PowerPeers does. So I... I uh, I like to explain it like this. So in, if you think of the electricity grid, you have a physical layer where the electrons mm-hmm. are flowing from a power station to a consumer, which might be your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those electrons flow whichever way they flow according to physics. You can imagine then on top of that, there's a commercial layer. So your supplier has purchased electricity from a power plant and has sold it to you. Now, that power plant might be a completely different part of the country, might have actually nothing to do with the electrons that flow to your home. Mm-hmm. But the commercial flow, if you like, is coming from that power plant and ending up at your home. Mm. What we do at PowerPeers is we add a layer on top of this where we enable a virtual allocation between a power source and a consumption. And we enable that to happen based on everybody's preference. So... If I have solar panels on my roof and I would like to supply to your house, Chris, then, then we can simply do that through the platform and the platform mm. will make sure that when I have excess energy from my solar panels, it gets allocated to your consumption if you had consumption at that time. Yeah. And it's all done, of course, without double counting. So it's adding a different way of allocating the electricity grid. Uh, yeah, on top and, of the pre-existing ways. And also a more trustful way because, um, you know, of the many things I like about it, it <clears throat> gives a, a one-for-one sort of verified trusted allocation of the, of the electricity. And if you're interested in actually having green electricity, you can, you can therefore, because it's, you know, one in, one out, 
um, be very certain that the energy you're using is in fact green. Of course, the electrons flow as they will, but and it's not, you know, like in the Netherlands, which we call greenwashing and, you know, certificates. And so actually you're being, you know, fed a lot of black or gray energy, but then it's been painted green because they bought certificates from some other foreign country. Um, I think that's really, really meaningful. And, and the, the challenge of all that is that that is the, the, the capability. Um, and, and what I appreciate about what, you, what your role is doing is trying to, how, okay, how do you make a value proposition in a, another market? outside of the Netherlands, you know, and all these markets are slightly different. And, ha- and how do you find a value pr- proposition for the energy retailer as well as the energy consumer, business or, 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 or home, residential? Um, that was like a big puzzle. That's, that, that is like a uh, philosophical, you know, uh, puzzle, it, it seemed. Maybe not philosophical, but certainly uh, uh, logical. <laughs> yeah. No, c- certain, certainly you have to find... Um, there are all kinds of different ways. I mean, one thing I love about this platform is it, it enables all kinds of possibilities. So Chris, you mentioned people can choose green energy if that's what they want, but people could also choose local energy if that's what they want. Uh, mm. Or they could choose the energy from their local sports club or whatever it is. But, but the point is you're enabling choices. Uh, I think it's incredibly yeah. powerful from that point of view or, or or also you're enabling to choose their own meaning if you know community solar um that if a, a group of people or, or businesses um, want to co-invest in in a, a local renewable um then this also allows them to you know consume that even if it's really not on their roof which is also incredibly powerful and being mandated by the eu government as of 2021 so um yeah so i, I agree with you it's just simply a matter of time certainly in the u.s where this transparency, provenance, um, you know, ledgering allocation systems will be just completely standard. I can't wait for that. It's a, yeah. <laughs> there's there's, there's a, a lot of market rules and market infrastructure which needs to come along with this concept, but it, mm. it will happen. As you say, the EU is, is uh, encouraging this. Um, and, and for people that are within a collective or have the possibility to be in a collective, this is an obvious place where where this kind of tool is useful for them mm-hmm. um, it's useful in certain there's not that many countries but some countries in the world that simply don't have green certificates of any sort and and they can use this solution instead of mm-hmm. uh, it's of course much much better and much more powerful anyway than green certificates uh, and there's of course a few markets which are advanced enough that people can literally trade energy amongst themselves if that's what they want to do mm-hmm. Uh, which is also something this kind of tool can facilitate. Yeah. Uh, and, and that will clearly increase in the next years as, as more and more solar energy and more and more battery systems get installed. These yeah. things are becoming much, much cheaper than they used to be. In, in a few years, they will, in anywhere in the world, be absolutely the cheapest energy source you can, you can find anywhere. So mm. th- this is not about... Uh, whether it's going to happen. This is about how fast can it be rolled out uh, mm. to catch up with the need to reduce CO2. Yeah. No, fascinating. And, and what about you? Um, you know, what, what part of this play are, are you going to uh, fulfill, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the global stage of, you know, sustainable energy and, and, and the developments there? So I love, I love the question. It's obviously very much on my mind right now. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I'm having right now a lot of fun uh, talking to a whole bunch of different people. And I would invite anybody watching, if you would like to connect and have a phone call, a cup of coffee, whatever, let's do that. Um, what type I'm, of people are you looking for? Like, like, can you, can so, you paint that picture of, of the people who... Anybody would, that yeah. is that is interested in in making their business more sustainable, mm -hmm. uh, maybe looking for some ideas on how to do that, or um, has has realized the need and the urgency, but maybe doesn't have the expertise. Mm. Uh, those would be my favorite people to talk to. Mm. Um, so you, you generally. You, you stated that sustainable as in a very broad sustainable terms. That's yes. not necessarily energy. Okay. That's not necessarily energy. No. Uh, what, what I notice is that, uh, of course, energy is, is, is a, a big subject and a, a very significant one when it comes to mm -hmm. sustainability. But if you look at what businesses are now um, increasingly being required to stick to all kinds of environmental, social uh, standards, which they certainly in Europe are going to have to start reporting. Mm. And most mm -hmm. likely this will then spread. The whole investment community is pushing this. So uh, more than 25% today of, of investment funds worldwide are applying some kind of ESG criteria to their investments. Mm -hmm. um, and many companies are maybe aware of that in the background, but haven't had chance to digest what it actually means yeah. or how they're going to be ranked. And if they find that they don't get high on the ranking, they're going to have more expensive capital than others. Yeah. So but, this is a real, a real issue. What did you mean by ESG? Something sustainability goal. So it's actually environmental, social and governance. Ah, okay. Sorry, um, I had, I had um, system, sustainability development goals in my brain when you said that. And I was like, wait. Yeah. And, and it's all, it's all part of the same, yeah, the, the, the sustainable development goals are, are somehow behind that. Um, and it's, it's become such a thing among the financing mm. community, the investment community, uh, that in spite of, of the pandemic, this is giving a real impetus um, yeah. for a lot of things to be rolled out. No, lovely. Well, I, I, I don't even know if I've shared this with you, but with um, some other people, we've actually taken the simplicity scan and then we've ported that into a sustainability accelerator. Um, I'm not, it, uh, it will be launched sometime in the next, you know, six weeks or so. Um, so th this might be coming out after that or before that. So, but when it does, I'll include a link into this. And I think you and I should, should compare notes on that because essentially what we did is we took the 15 domains of the uh, simplicity scan and then mapped it against the you know the the, the 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 sustainability development goals and recrafted the triggering strategic questions in order to really stimulate thinking about how an organization could become more sustainable or at least you know think more sustainable and of course the you know the mission there was you know don't boil the ocean you know can can you use this dialogue tool to develop one strategic thing you can do in order to take a step forward um, and then do that and then, and then repeat. So um, you that have like a great initiative. Yeah, it's fun. It's um, you have used the simplicity scan a couple of times now. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious what, um, how was that for you? What, you know, I, I, I love, I, I, I love using it. Not, it does all kinds of things. Um, it obviously it organizes the thought process, um, but
but the, for me the most important part was the kind of discussions it entrained mm. among the team uh, mm -hmm. what we discovered is is some topics uh, existed which we didn't maybe talk about enough and there wasn't alignment but we only discovered that by filling in the scan mm -hmm. and then of course the right kind of discussion could take place so yeah. this was very powerful um, I, I don't know. I mean, you have lots of experience now doing this, Chris, so I don't, I don't know how often that comes up, but I can imagine quite a lot. Well, it has been described as, as rather, you know, sort of the, uh, the ultimate alignment tool. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure how ultimate it is, but it, it certainly you know, stimulates conversation and dialogue, and, and that's really the purpose of it. Um, the, 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 I really recommend that, that when people do it as a team, they assign someone, um, doesn't have to be me or you, but, but, uh, as a facilitator, because what's not able to be captured in, in sort of this linear one page, you know, document is the emotional dimension of it. Because, uh, you know, when I'm coaching people with it, or teams with it, it's often the things that are unsaid, or the, or the, the, the tone of which people are responding or asking that you're saying, well, okay, you really don't believe this, do you? You know, and then and then it's behind that that there, 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 that there is the actual question and the magic and, and the and the challenge. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Because well, that that is essentially what it's for is to to stimulate thinking and discussion either within your own head as a, as a solopreneur or a single person or um, as a management team or a leadership team. Not only you know when you're starting something, but also when something's ongoing. So, so um, you also have some different methods and background that you use to, um, you know, continue ensuring your own success in the business place. Um, you mentioned tango um, yeah, I, I, coming I into this I, and I'm like, so, okay. So how would you let's, like let's to connect look. tango to sustainable energy? Let, let's, let's talk about, I love talking about tango. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> It's one of my favorites. So Argentine tango, um, something I learned maybe in the last 10 years. So it's not like I've been doing this forever. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've realized as I'm doing it is there's an awful lot of parallels uh, between what you do in a dance and how you are at work or how you may want mm. to be at work. Um, now, tango is a partner dance and it's, fully improvised um so you have to do something with a person and it's a dance so it should be in harmony i mean if it wasn't in harmony it would turn into a fight and and fighting and dancing have a lot in common but here mm. the aim is to create a dance which i feel is also the aim in a workplace um when you're mm. with people uh what i what I like about it is you're dancing with each other, but there's other people in the room. So in some ways you're dancing with the room and of course you're dancing with the music. So you can compare it a little bit to a situation at work where you're uh, dealing with each other, but you're also dealing with all the other crowd around and what they're trying to do. And you're also dealing with a general flow of stuff going on mm -hmm. in your business. Uh, and to, to, the short summary of, of things that, that I've taken out of the tango that have really clicked with me as, as great examples uh, for the workplace. 
top top of the bill is it's about the frame of mind. Mm. So if the two of you join up and you want to enjoy a dance together, mm-hmm. um, you have to be in a generous frame of mind. You want to mm. offer this other person a good time. Uh, if you're standoffish or feel like you have something to prove or like the other person has something to prove, that's not going to create a dance. So um, this is, this is in, for me, this is like a really active way to apply mindfulness. Mm-hmm. You want to be as mindful of the other person as you possibly can. Uh, number two is following is an activity. Following is not passive. Mm. So if in that pair where there is nominally a leader and a follower, if you are the follower, your job is to make life as easy as possible for your leader. Mm-hmm. And, and you should use all your technique and all your ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you are not doing your job if you wait until your leader shows mm. you stuff mm. or drags you around. Very much relevant in a workplace. When I think yeah. back in, in my early career, when in a, in a much more industrial environment and some blue collar types who's, who rather have a confrontational attitude, then that's, that's not good followership. That's something else. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's appropriate there, but it's not appropriate if you want to create a dance. Um, and the other thing is, of course, you're, you have a leader and a follower, but you should keep it within each other's comfort zone. You're not doing this to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. When you are comfortable with each other and with each other's technique and with the dance, you can maybe get to a place where you can push the boundaries a bit from a place of comfort. And mm-hmm. that's a great way to learn something new together. So... Mm. All of those things I can immediately translate into relationships in the workplace and, and how you should get on with each other. Uh, and, and that learning, it's not going one way or the other. It goes both ways. So I also take things to the tango, uh, which I've learned elsewhere. Uh, it's one of the great pleasures. Wow. Um, I hope we have an opportunity to take that soundtrack that you just said and, and lay that over some tango graphics. I was just watching it thinking this is, this is beautiful. I have um, likened um, customer service interactions as a dance before, but never as elegantly as you just did. Because, uh, you know, I can, I can totally see it that if um, to serve someone a customer and to develop that experience and again, co-create and stage that experience. That is a dance that if, if, if either of the parties come up hostile or indifferent um, and usually, you know, sadly a lot of organizations cause you know, people are not really satisfied with work and either, you know, they're, they're indifferent at best and customers are trained to be oftentimes hostile <laughs> um, in order to, you know, I just got off the phone with Apple, uh, Apple um, and unfortunately, you know, so sometimes hostility is required in order to, to get things done. Um, yeah. And then the, you know, and, and you also, the action aspect of it as well is, is nothing would happen. You know, the, 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 the memorable experience wouldn't happen if people are just sitting there. Mm. And I think also with the, with the, you know, comfort zone, I was going di- to disagree with you and say, well, no learning happens in the comfort zone, but then you loop back to that. And, um, and, and what I liked about that is, is 
it's 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 learning or stretching or discovering but probably with discipline and, and mindfully so and okay this is what we're this is what we're going to learn now let's try that and let's fail and then until yeah. we perfect it so no beautiful and um how can you map that back to power peers at all like how, how did you see you know how did you experience that dance so the, the uh, of course it's it's more complicated than one dance there's a few <laughs> different dances going on at once mm -hmm. um and uh so th there was a dance i mean i can see that there was a dance within within the team within let's say the, the management team uh mm -hmm which went pretty well in the sense that we all care for each other and we know each other and understand each other's technique and can do that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and there were some dances with, with the different teams at work, which in our environment uh, was pretty good. A couple of dances that were maybe more difficult, uh, certainly in, in my, my experience was, with our investor where mm -hmm. sometimes we were dancing a different dance or hearing a different music. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of the dancing with, uh, with customers or with prospective customers were, and that's always the hardest bit when you're just learning each other, mm -hmm. uh, how do you make that happen? And yeah. um, I mean, there, there was a great moment when, when I was uh, earlier in my tango career, but it, it absolutely always applies. Um, when you're learning something uh, and it's hard and it's a partner thing, it's quite easy to get in a place where you blame your partners. Like, well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing my bit. Why aren't you doing your bit? Yeah. Um, uh, and one great tango teacher said to me, hey, you can only work on your own technique. So work on your own technique. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that, that advice is, you know, the, the best relationships, you know, personal or professional are amongst people who take full responsibility for the relationship themselves. Um, yeah. and, if, and, if, and if both parties take full responsibility themselves for the relationship, you know, then it can work. But if, if that's when it really happens. Yeah. yeah. So, but if someone's not taking responsibility for themselves in order to, you know, fulfill their obligation or, 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 or you know, be part of that relationship, then it, then it falls apart. So, wow. Cool. Well, again, I, I'm, I, I hope we're able to put your soundtrack over, uh, over some video. Um, I'd love to do that. We are, we are running out of time. I would, um, yeah, really eager to see where Simon Broad, you know, continues his, you know, many, many year journey into sustainability um, and, and bringing the, you know, tango leadership to, you know, organizations in the future. Um, if you would like to get in touch with Simon, he is available at, um, well, yeah, LinkedIn. Um, you can also find uh, all of his contact details with LinkedIn at uh, ebullient.com slash uh, podcast slash Simon Broad. Um, get in touch with him to talk about tango and uh, uh, sustainability and energy um, and, and whatever other topics. So, Simon, would you like to leave us with uh, any final thoughts on all of these various things we touched very briefly? Chris, I'm very happy to have been able to do this. Thank you. Um, and I would just urge people to uh, think once again, once more about their sustainability and their footprint. Thank you. Yeah. So, oh, great. No, I, I'm, I'm going to 
jump back in there. So what is one thing people can do to contribute themselves actually now? So um, lots of things. I w if I have to pick one, I would say stop using your car, use the bicycle, the public transport as absolutely as often as you can. So avoid avoid the avoid the car whenever possible. Does that does that count for electric vehicles as well, or only uh, carbon based? It depends vehicles? where you are, but but be careful where you get your electricity from. Yeah. Uh, if you have the right kind of electricity, of course, mm -hmm. you should be able to use your electric car. So bringing that full circle, if you use an electric vehicle, you should be using it um, with energy that you can prove comes through a green source by using a technology such as Power Pierce. <laughs> Absolutely I mean, correct. Outstanding. Thank you, Thank you so much for joining. Learn more at ebillion.com slash podcast.